This is a podcast about time. The time it takes to become an artisan. Heritage. Saving to buy something you'll keep forever. Sustainability. Memories attached to clothing that you've loved and lived in. And the longevity of friendship. To us, the true definition of luxury. I'm Lynn Coleman. Join me and my friend and colleague, Jill Brown, as we chat about the components about what makes Scottish cashmere so special, why it's loved by people all around the globe, and why every design house has a Scottish mill in their little black book. Pringle of Scotland. Weaving credentials, Grace Kelly, Tilda Swinton, Sophia Loren. Pringle of Scotland are the playboys of Scottish textiles, a brand that spent the last hundred years courting celebrities at the forefront of pop culture, while the hundred years previous saw them crafting their skills and paving the ways to become innovators in knitwear. Established in 1815 by Robert Pringle, the company bearing its name didn't move into knitwear until the 1870s, and it's a good job they did, as it's here that they really excelled. Pringle's journey began in luxury cashmere hosiery, progressing in design with the innovation of the cashmere twin set that we all know and love today. Intarsi is also accredited to the brand. Argyle design in all things diamond shape were dominated by them, really giving Pringle a unique look that pulled strongly on Scottish heritage. Truth be told, Argyle print had been around for a century before they made it famous, but It is the might of their marketing power that make you think that it's them when you see it. Pringle understood endorsement like no other brand and in the 1950s and 60s, the Hollywood starlets lining up to be dressed by this super soft finery were Grace Kelly amongst others. She was said to fly to New York and pick out a piece of cashmere from their store when she had something to celebrate. Her archive was unlocked in 2013 when Pringle of Scotland asked Central St Martins to collaborate on a project celebrating their iconic muse. And this is where my world and Pringles really collided. Shooting a collection alongside contemporary Scottish designers was a career highlight for me and the catalyst that opened my eyes to how incredible our textile heritage and contemporary relevance truly was. In the 1980s and 90s, it saw the brand dominate sports sponsorship, blinking golf legends Nick Faldo and Colin Montgomery to create sportswear that ultimately did them a disservice despite its commercial success. It led them to become synonymous with the casual movement on football terraces across the UK. As yet another recession hit, it looked like the company might face closure for good, but foreign investment saved the label as it slipped from Scottish hands into the ownership of a Hong Kong-based company, the Fang family. Technically, there's no Pringle of Scotland mill and only selected items come back to Scotland, allowing it to be able to carry the label stating its place of origin. However, other Scottish cashmere mills make for Pringle of Scotland, and these pieces help to retain impeccable quality and its cashmere, remaining at the heart of its pieces. Pringle of Scotland is more of a label now than the other institutions who produce our iconic cashmere. Its strengths lie elsewhere in storytelling and beautiful collaborations that leave people wanting to hear and see more. Watching them reach their milestone 200th anniversary in 2015 was such a wonderful thing. The imagery that they created was simply breathtaking. A wonderful way to celebrate a brand that has touched so many and been worn by some of the most iconic names in Hollywood. There's so there's so many things I want to ask, but I suppose I'm just going to go with contentious straight away. Okay. 
because it's a big thing in what I do. What do we? How do we define something as Scottish? How can we, you know, you say absolutely some of their stuff is made here, but it's not owned in Scotland anymore. It's not, you know, how how do we define Scottishness? Well, from a design process, actually, the Made in Scotland um, label can literally be sewn in, and then it can be classed as Made in Scotland. So if your last piece of, of stitching happens here, you can legitimately say it's made in Scotland. The thing about the, the Fang family actually, you know, because I initially kind of felt that odd um, pang of, oh, it's, you know, it's not Scottish anymore when it was taken over. And, and there was the, the reason that I'm saying this is because people will not know this. Um, when Pringle were going under in the 90s, it didn't just affect the people working in the mill. It affected the whole infrastructure around Hoyk. And there's still scars felt in the, 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 the community today because of it. Because, you know, this was a, a company that, before the fine saved them, had swollen to being a behemoth in the textile industry, much like Johnson's, you know? But... What had happened was they had sold into like hedge fund um, pensions. And when the recession happened, it all came tumbling down and it ended up affecting the, the community. And so that from, you know, from a, I remember that as a child, I remember feeling and seeing that in the news and, and not, you know, not quite understanding why um, everybody was up in arms. Yeah, there were jobs being lost and there was a recession and I just do all that. But the, I, what I couldn't quite get my head around and what you've just shown me is when you are Scottish, we feel ownership as a nation on things like golf, which is ridiculous. We feel like we own whiskey, which is ridiculous because you can do and make these things anywhere. But we're, as a nation, we're, we're pig-headed and we're like, yeah, we created, we enlightened, we gave America railways and blah, 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 blah. But I, me personally, am very thankful to the, the Fang family and they, um, actually, their own lineage, they have been, um, there's like three generations now, or maybe maybe four, of, of textiles in, in China and Hong Kong. And they have continued to stand by Pringle, even though it has not, made a profit for them. They, they pump a huge amount of money into it, but they understand the importance of, of heritage and they and they do these collaborations, you know, the, the, the one with um, Grace Kelly and Central St. Martins. That collection was all produced at William Lockheed, which is, you know, where Pringle originated and where they had the factories in Hoyk. Um, so there, there are things that get produced here in Scotland. And, you know, there, there are lots of collections that go through several of the mills here but like i said in the, the last section of, of that of the book it's a much bigger beastie now than it is, than it was it's a label it's not a mill and so you can't conflate the two it's a living and breathing house it's like chanel it's like balenciaga it's not like lock it's not like johnson's although johnson's are trying to move into more of a a, a fashion-led um element into the, their their production. Pringle is a label now with its feet firmly steeped in Scottish heritage. 
And I think that that's really exciting and, and special. And their designers, the designers that they had, you know, Claire Wright Keller, who designed uh, Meghan Markle's her wedding dress to Prince Harry, she cut her chops at Pringle of Scotland. So the first few collections, um, beginning of the noughties into the teens, they were all her. She was incredible. And then off she went to Givenchy and, and designed the most iconic wedding dress of her time. And uh, this is ridiculous, but I kind of feel like she's part of, of, of my journalism heritage. I'm like, oh, I've never met her in my life. I've just written about her collections a lot, you know. Pringle, for me, holds a really, really special place in my heart. It really does. And I, I also am very thankful that the Fang family understand the importance of Scotland. Whereas I think some people might misunderstand that and not and think that it's well it's not Scottish owned, so it can't be a Scottish label. It absolutely is. And it's a you know, it's it's, it's run from Hong Kong and that's okay. But that's the complexities of it, isn't it? Like that you absolutely especially if it's made here and it's provenance and all of those things but i think when you're it is important to protect these things you know it's pre- you know absolutely and to protect whiskey and you know we've talked a lot because of my day job about this sort of influx of you know there's a big push in television at the moment to have things come from what they call the nations in the region so wales northern ireland scotland the regions northwest you know the southwest so we're getting a way that media doesn't have that London centric. Yeah, exactly. But the problem is that these this is a business. So often people will say that they have a Scottish office, but it's you know what we call a brass plate. It's they have an address here. They maybe have a couple of junior members of the team up here, but the money, the big money, the execs, the senior leadership team are still in London. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's a similar thing when you talk about Scottish film. I mean, Braveheart is a Scottish story, but it was directed by an Australian and filmed in Ireland. So, you know, you absolutely what you've said about, you know, Pringle and, and the work and the craftsmanship is still in Scotland. So absolutely a Scottish label. But at what point can you define something as Scottish when, you know... Other parts of the collection are made elsewhere and, yeah. So a really good example of a Scottish film is Outlaw King for Netflix. It's Robert the Bruce. It's a Scottish story. It was made by a Scottish film company. It was directed by a Scot. Huge amounts of the team, the behind the scenes team, the skills that we desperately want to keep in Scotland. A lot of the lead roles were not Scotch. No Florence Pugh and Chris Pine. I will forgive that because you're sort of reinvesting that skill set. You're keeping those jobs in Scotland, which, you know, when you were talking about the upset in Hoyk when the mill closed, you know, that's what you want to keep, isn't it? And it's it becomes quite a, you're right, we are fiercely proud and fiercely possessive of our things. Mm. I think because we're small. And, and we're small and also because we we see the value and the, you know, our diaspora here is huge. You know, we, <laughs> we are this tiny, we're on this tiny island and we are a section of this tiny island that produces and has produced some of the most incredible minds, you know, all the way back to 200 years ago when Robert Pringle was first setting out, to Carnegie, to, you know, to to present day, you would be hard pushed to find a Scottish person 
in in top tiers of you know like we we just we 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 run around the place we're like we're like mushrooms we we're fungus we grow and and blossom anywhere but yeah we always we always retain our want and need to be Scottishness but that you you just said something that, that made me laugh and it which is Pringle to its core you talking about that Netflix and you know those two Hollywood names that are attached to the to the the production you absolutely need those Hollywood names otherwise it's not sexy I mean don't get me wrong I love Scottish men but you know we we're, we don't you need a sprinkling of stardust yes right and Pringle were one of the first people in the industry and I'm talking about the fashion industry that got this they got marketing and press before any other label and that's why you know the the book was obviously about the mills but Pringle became way more than a mill it became a lifestyle long before we even understood what the words lifestyle brand were and so in the 40s and 50s and 60s they were courting Grace Kelly and she was physically flying anywhere like from anywhere to go to New York to pick out pieces to be papped let's not let's not beat around the bush to be papped outside the store with her little Pringle of Scotland bag in the 60s you know and she would collect twin sets she'd be photographed in them Edith Head would would, would um, buy stuff for for that purpose that the starlets would be dressed in a certain way and they got endorsement long before anybody else did long before Chanel did you know Pringle really really understood it and it's this they are they're the kind of olden day Instagram but understanding that influence would sell product and that's really was its ascent and then like I said in that chapter its biggest demise because in the 80s when they saw that the uptick in sport and you know luxury in sport and clubbing together with golf very good thanks what they essentially did was crucify themselves to a kind of rougher period in time you know that casuals and and sporting institutions in the, the 80s for people that don't know this uh, you know football got really sketchy in the 80s and the, the, there was you know mass fighting and and then there were labels that got bought by those people much like tartan was wrapped around the jacobites when they went to war you know <laughs> everybody would be wearing an argyle jumper so that you knew not to punch that face in mm. the terraces you know mm. so yeah it kind of got sucked into a subculture and that happens. It happened with Pringle and football casuals and Begbie and train spotting didn't yeah. help. And then well, maybe it did. <laughs> and then you have Fred Perry and Stan Smith and the skinheads, uh, Doc Martens as well. Like, and then probably most famously within living memory for a lot of people, Burberry. Yeah, Burberry pulled that played out, didn't it? Because it became synonymous with a word that we rarely use now, the chaff. Yeah. No, we don't use it at all, do we? No. But, and actually, it's back. Burberry have, have fully embraced it. And it's, it's back with a bang, that tartan. But yeah, that, and it's all cyclical. And that's the point. And it, again, I talk about the economics of fashion. And that's the thing that really excites me, that you can pinpoint what was happening in the barometer of cuts and at the height of Thatcher. And, you know, that can be completely honed in on in a diamond jumper. <laughs> 
you know and it, and for me that that's the, the the signifying moments in fashion good or bad that there can be a twin set on a 1950s vogue on a starlet and then there can be begbie shot for the first train spotting film in that jumper and it becomes a you know a completely different thing and and you know and, and now we actually view that as kind of cool britannia and blah 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 blah, blah. but you know let's not forget that was talking about the height of the AIDS crisis and, and, and heroin in Edinburgh. It was not It was not a happy time. He is the epitome of Scottish Dangerous. violence, yes, isn't he? He is. Everybody's yeah. met somebody like Begbie. Yeah. But I suppose what we're talking about really is influence and what Pringle have done, which is what has been latched on to, particularly in the last five years, mm. is, you know, all particularly beauty brands have moved away from traditional advertising and they have latched on to what we now so casually call an influencer you know it's it's I think last year was the the most sought after career for school children but it's sort of people who they sell us an item but they sell us a lifestyle alongside that a little bit themselves yeah and they do it through really approachable beautiful content that, that they make themselves which you know as a content maker makes me slightly ill you know, and it's come a long way. I remember when it first happened and there was sort of question marks around the efficacies of it. Initially, you didn't have to say it was an ad. You didn't have to say that you were being paid or you had a partnership with somebody. And there that was, comes right back to Pringle. Yeah, you know? you know, there was no, there was no, and we were saying as television producers, if we've got branded content in something, we have to say, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, product placement is still in its very early stages in the UK. But in America, it's everywhere. But in the UK, if you have product placement, it says at the front of the program, this program contains product placement. Yes. So initially, we were all saying, hang on, these guys aren't playing by the rules and there are no rules for them to play too. But now it's become, you know, this this acceptable form of advertising, which I totally, as long as everybody knows what they're watching, you know that someone's showing you this because they've been paid to show you it or... You know, and they're a salesperson. Absolutely. It's of okay. course they are. As long as that's what you know. And I think with Instagram and YouTube, everyone's so young. That's why it was important to me that it was very clear. But and now, I, also, I also don't get the backlash against that because some of that content is lovely. And yeah. I will happily waste 20 to 25 minutes watching someone go through a product or, you know, apply. Because you a, learn. Yeah. How is it different to QVC? It's absolutely not. You're right. You and, and, and with that you get lovely content and to make that content is time consuming and it takes a lot of hard work and to make that engaging and interesting is hard work and yeah I'm the same as you if I'm going to let not just a I use this and it makes me look great but this is how I use this and this is how you should use it and this is what it's suitable for and well actually what you're talking about right now you are responsible for probably one of Scotland's most famous influencers she was a huge success all by herself um i was just very lucky to work with her and give her the opportunity to go on television so and her name is uh, jamie genevieve the very lovely jamie genevieve so i came back to scotland to work in 2017 just at the launch of the bbc scotland channel and we knew that you know she was a fascinating person for so many people she's got such a strong following because she's a lovely person. For anybody that doesn't know, um, Jamie, Gen- Jamie Genevieve was a, a former counter makeup artist. 
um, and she is a YouTuber and has been doing that for for years now. Though mm-hmm. it's, it's it's been a really long time and a really long build to get to the subscribers she has and the Instagram followers that she has. But it's in the millions. I mean, I think just before we signed the deal and she did the documentary with us, she's hit a million. So she's definitely in the millions. I think what it is is she's just herself. She is a truly lovely person and genuine and still a bit shell-shocked at how her life has changed and how it's come about. But at her heart, she's a makeup artist. You know, she's got a skill and a talent that she's putting to to great use. And yeah, we did a documentary with her for BBC Scotland that then got bumped up to BBC One, which just sort of about her life and about sort of a year with her in the run-up to her wedding as well. And she was really, really honest in that. If you've not seen it, you should. It's really good. She talked about how many pictures she takes to get the one that goes on her grid. How many? Oh, hundreds hundreds you know she was in the Hamptons I think doing something for benefit um and her and her now husband were on the beach and she sort of showed you her camera roll of how many pictures they take and her picking the right one and then the filter that she'll put on that and I think that's the next stage that level of honesty for young people to know that and also I think what's really good is she shows the process and what makes her look that way mm-hmm. because she shows you how she does her makeup you know the number of products that are going into that look. She doesn't just look like that. And she's really honest. I think that's really important. But I think really an interesting person to show that that luxury world is now open to anyone. Well, that's the point, isn't it? That that goes back to brands understanding who they are, who their starlet is. Pringle of Scotland and Grace Kelly. You know, mm-hmm. it was a match made in heaven. And that archive, you look, Jill, I can't even begin to tell you what it was like when I went to view the, so there, there was a big exhibition that, that they, they toured around with for their anniversary of this. But that, and that's when um, the, the head of sales for Pringle and I met each other and they had set up the Central St. Martin collaboration to let those university students go into her archive in, in Monaco and um, to create, it was a capsule of jumpers and the, the outstanding ones it's so simple, but it's the simple things that often are a the hardest to 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 design, and then b it makes you go, oh, but of course anybody could do that. No, anybody can't do it, and it's the simplicity that is is the difficulty. But the two um, jumpers that really stood out for me were very very simple. They were a kind of a striking blue, but not electric. So somewhere in between, like a cobalt, navy. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, you know, with a tinge of neon, it's not a really, really, we- really wearable with a grey grace emblazoned in intarsia over. Intarsia is just the knit that, that creates a pattern that keeps everything one layer, just in case you're like, intarsia, what earth is she talking about? When you see a knitted product that has lots of pattern on it, that's an intarsia knit. So there you go. So grace was intarsia on the front and then on the, the flip side of the jumper, as in another jumper, Kelly was emblazoned on the other side. And they sold like hotcakes. Like um, Jane Davidson um, here is a, a, is a boutique, a, a Draper's award-winning boutique, which is owned by a really good friend of mine, Sarah. She could not get them out of the shop fast enough. People were like, just give me them. Um, and I had the privilege, and I know this is going to sound nuts, because I, yeah, I shot a lot of things as as a fashion writer over my over my many years 
for different brands and for the paper. But that's one of the shoots that really st- st- like just stuck out to me. Getting my hands on Scottish-made jumpers that had been designed by college students that would never have had the opportunity to a go into a princess's archive. Like you know, you think about we're thinking about the words luxury. Like what a luxury for them to you know be in whatever year it was that they were under Louise Wilson. So you know the the, the famed dame of Central St Martins, who everybody adored. And they got into the archive and, and then I was I was holding on to them and they just shot like a dream. And so I shot them with a kind of Lichtenstein-esque makeup. So we painted half of the model's face like a cartoon. And then I teamed that with really, really young Scottish designers at the time, um, friends of mine called Obscure Couture, who made these kind of crazy Barbie on crack um, kind of outfits. They were the darlings of Vogue. And so I put those jumpers over these ball gowns and it just, it was just great, just great. But that comes back down to exactly what you're talking about. Pringle understood and have understood for the last hundred years, the riding of a zeitgeist, how to market and churning out a product that caters to the zeitgeist. And influencers are absolutely riding that crest of, of, of zeitgeist. and. You, you said this before about um, Jamie, Jamie Genevieve, that she doesn't know when this is going to end. So right now she's on her surfboard, you know, and she is just doing what she loves until the time comes where it might not work out anymore. And I suppose that there is a bit of that in everybody's everyday life. You know, you just, you ride the good times when you can. And make the most of it make the most of whatever you've you've got yeah. for however long and then you don't know and I think that's really what's happening for everybody right now you know oh god and, and the, the sadness of COVID is that we are consuming content in a way that we've never done before it's almost like our pacifier and that's okay right now because we need it I need to be pacified through a global pandemic thank you very much In our next episode, we will be discussing a mill very close to my heart, and it's the last one that we're going to talk about. It's William Lockie.